Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. So excited for today's guest. And before we get started, let me just remind you, first of all, that you can subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is probably the best podcast app I know. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't need to download each one. But instead, just download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, a reminder that my new book, The Solo Video Journalist, is available for purchase. It is a how-to guide for those in local TV news who do it all, shooting and editing their own reports. I walk you step-by-step through the creation of a story, and I include the advice of not just myself, but from nearly a dozen of the top solo video journalists in TV today. That is The Solo Video Journalist, available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and the publisher's website. Earlier this month, I spoke about solo video journalism and a variety of topics at the NPPA Northern Short Course out in Fairfax, Virginia. It's one of the great events held annually by the National Press Photographers Association in its 36th year now. I was one of four speakers on the video journalism side, and one of the other speakers is my guest today. He is the Senior Field Production Supervisor for CNN in Washington, Oliver Janney. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Matt. Well, I invited you here because I found your presentation at the short course so interesting, and I wanted to get some of your tips and your stories recorded for a, for a wide audience. But let's start by talking about where you work and what you do. Uh, you know, I mentioned you're at CNN. Your title is Senior Field Production Supervisor, and I imagine many people listening will wonder, what does that mean? Right. So I guess my role is kind of similar to... Uh, uh, I guess I'm a, a news manager. Uh, I'm not like a chief photog in that I don't shoot anymore. I did spend seven years as a photojournalist on the photography staff with Washington or uh, CNN Washington. Uh, before that, I worked in local news. I was an editor at WBFF and I was a, a cameraman at WJZ in Baltimore. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I switched from the street to an office. Uh, having said that, I do spend time in the field still, but it's in more of a supervisory role. Uh, when CNN goes out uh, to cover a big story, um, we tend to send a lot of people. Uh, we have a big footprint. Uh, a good example of that would be the conventions where we had literally hundreds of staffers on the ground. Uh, when we cover the big breaking news story, uh, generally we'll send somewhere on the order of 30 crews out. Uh, so coordinating uh, all of those assignments and all those people on the ground and making sure people have what they need and the support that they need. Uh, I'll deploy out and as will my, my co-managers and, uh, we'll take care of our guys and make sure the story gets covered, uh, and, and help where we can. And, Uh, you know, I think comparing that description with what we hear so much about local TV news, most of my guests on this podcast are, are renowned on the local side and, you know, just hearing those numbers, you just mentioned 30 crews out on a breaking news story, uh, is, is so unimaginable. I think for for local stations who might not even have that many people on their newsroom staff. So I guess when you're in that situation and you're sending that many crews out, is the is the mindset that you know we know we have all of these talented people and someone's going to find something? Is that the thinking, or is it is it deeper than that? No, it is deeper than that. We have uh, when we're covering a big story, we have positions that we know we're going to need to staff. Uh, generally we count on at least two multi-camera anchor setups if we're going to be anchoring our programming from, uh, from the story out in the field. Uh, and then we have other platforms. So we have 
CNN News Source, our affiliate service. Right there, I can count on you know two of my guys uh, to run an AMPM shift, uh, doing custom shots for local stations. Uh, we have our own news gathering needs for CNN, uh, and that can include everything from a show team that wants to go out and shoot something to our documentary unit, uh, to our investigative unit, uh, and and the investigative unit especially. Uh, it, it's kind of a real thrill when you, when you get onto a story and get them involved and they start getting really aggressive uh, with, with the numbers of people we send out. We can afford to, you know, put a crew on a location to stake it out for a couple of days. Um, if, if we're really trying to land that interview, we'll we'll sit out front and wait for, you know, someone to come home or, or, or come open their business. Uh, so it, it gives us a lot of flexibility. We also do generally staff 24 hours a day. On those stories. So even though CNN US may come off the air at midnight or 1 a.m., CNN International is picking up uh, the, the torch from us and we're providing all of the coverage from that story. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that 30 people could be assigned and everybody is working more than an eight hour day, but it absolutely plays out that way. So if you have 30 crews on a story, how many of those crews are expected to produce content for air? On a given day, is it all thirty, or are there yes. some that it's kind of like, like you said, where you're kind of sending them out on a hunch or, or on a gamble, and if they come back with something beautiful, and if not, you know, it's a sunken cost. Uh, no, we we hope that everybody comes back with some goods at the end of the day, and, and whether that's live shots or or uh, enterprise work, uh, we we have put photogs out in the field before without a producer, without a correspondent, to just try and turn something on their own. Uh, sometimes going in with, with a really low profile can, uh, can bear some really good fruit. Uh, so that, that's something that we've, we've started to, to play with and I think we're going to do more of, um, but I say 30 and that's, you know, that, that's kind of a generalization. I'd say for a really big story on the low end, we're looking at, you know, 2025. Uh, and then you take these really unique days like we had last year with the political campaigns where, uh, the jump from Iowa to New Hampshire uh, so this was a situation where I believe we had more than 70 percent of our domestic staff deployed. Uh, and I had them in two cities. I had them in Des Moines and I had them in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, and we had a blizzard bearing down on Iowa the, on caucus night. So I needed to I needed to move like almost 30 people from one state to another the next morning. Uh, and so we, we actually called in airport Marriott in Kansas City, booked about a third of the hotel and told everybody, as soon as you're done, I know you're tired, just drink a Red Bull, get down to this hotel, we're going to book you out of Kansas City in the morning because it's below the below the uh, snow line. Uh, but so some tense moments there uh, that we knew were coming. But that that was, you know, covering last year uh, and that, that campaign story, that was just really, really unique. It really pushed us to our limits. Uh, but we came through just fine. So let me ask you, uh, kind of segueing from that into the obvious question, what is it like working for CNN in 2017? Particularly, and, and I know you talked about this a little bit at Northern Shore Course, but given everything going on with the current president and administration and, and the often adversarial relationship that, that they've had with CNN, how does that change what you do? How does that change what the network has done? And how does that change what your crews do on a daily basis? Well, it hasn't changed how we do our jobs one bit. Uh, we're still doing our jobs. And I think, if anything, it's made everyone uh, – recognize just how important our jobs are to a functioning democracy. Uh, it, you know, you say adversarial, uh, I think there's, there's 
the White House has developed an adversarial relationship with a, a, a lot of the media. Um, certainly, we've, we've been singled out. Uh, I think we wear that as a badge of honor. That's just fine. Uh, we, we recently had the president of our network, Jeff Zucker, say, you know, the era of access journalism is dead. And I think there is some truth to that. Now, I still have crews assigned every day to cover the White House in the White House. Uh, but, you know, some of our, our best breakthrough reporting wasn't from people sitting in that briefing room. Uh, it, it was from the, the, you know, incredible amount of information that's been coming out of the agencies. Uh, and that's that's been uh, that's been interesting. It's it's been different. Uh, I think what's different this time around than the, the last administration when they came in uh, is there is a certain level of chaos uh, and we're just it feels like we're getting a breaking news story every day or every other day. And so uh, I don't think anyone is frustrated. I do think we, we have people that are uh, tired. It's it's exhausting <laughs> maintaining this pace. Uh, but, you know, we have thankfully we have these great resources. So just this week I brought in a crew from Atlanta and a crew from New York uh, and they're going to stick around for a couple weeks in Washington and they're going to do all the assignments that our D.C. based staff do. Uh, and we just we just needed to get some fresh blood and, uh, and and be able to give some of our people some time off to, to you know, get, catch their breath. Has the pace quickened or or slowed down since 2016, which, again, you know, that's going to be. You mentioned just the the change between Iowa and New Hampshire, and that just seems like one of those years where I know so many of, of my colleagues in the media who I've talked with, they just felt exhausted by the time they got to December. You get into this year, and like you said, it, it does feel like a breaking news story every day. Yeah. Well, it certainly does in Washington, D.C. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the difference. Now the story is localized to Washington. Uh, we have a new Congress. We have a new administration. Uh, the, the story is very much in, in the beltway. Uh, whereas last year covering the campaigns, I mean, we had, you know, more than 10 candidates on each side to, to follow. Uh, and, and they were going from state to state to state to state. So, uh, last year it was lots and lots of, uh, planning and logistics of how do we get someone to this city? How do we get someone to that city? How many do we, do we need? Uh, whereas now it, because it's in Washington, you know, this is our largest photography staff in the U.S. based in D.C. Uh, we have of 28 guys uh, or excuse me, 27 guys and, and one wonderful woman on staff in Washington uh, that are based there. And that's because we have the federal government to cover. Uh, we're also part of the press pool. So when you read about the, the pool cameras uh, going into uh, the Oval or, or covering uh, events that are deemed pool only by the White House, those are our, our guys every fifth day. It's two CNN photographers in the motorcade with the president or on Air Force One if he's traveling. Um, and, and we also share responsibilities at, at the State Department and the Pentagon uh, so it, and on Capitol Hill. Uh, so there's always enough, you know, plenty of work to keep us busy. Uh, it does feel a little busier the first uh, first couple months of this year. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Oliver Janney, Senior Field Production Supervisor for CNN in Washington. Oliver, uh, the big reason I wanted to chat with you tonight is because I really enjoyed your presentation at Northern Shore Course, your perspective on photojournalism and, and this industry. And you mentioned this before becoming, uh, before arriving at your current job, you were on the ground for seven years with CNN. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can only imagine as as hectic and chaotic as things are for you as a manager, it's a far calmer life and probably a, a far more regimented life than life in the field. Go, go into detail about just what that was like 
being on the ground for as many years as you were? Um, well, so to be honest, when I came off of the street and into management, I was still the new guy on the photography staff in DC. I had the, I was their most recent hire from the, the, you know, the seven years from when I got hired to when I became management. Uh, we, we didn't hire anyone new. There just weren't any openings. Uh, and, and there's a reason for that. People get these jobs and it, they, they want to finish their career there. Uh, because I think there's a certain element of adrenaline and I think there's also a certain element uh, of just recognizing the importance of the stories that you're covering. Uh, and I certainly felt that as a shooter. My, my boss and I constantly go back and forth and remind each other that our staff has the best jobs in TV. Uh, I mean, the, they call it life, on, life in the slingshot. You, you are at home, your phone rings, and that call could send you, you know, to Philadelphia or Kuala Lumpur, uh, Malaysia. And, and uh, you know, I got both of those calls. Uh, the, the, when I was a photojournalist, I went around the world twice for CNN. Uh, I did a, a trip to the Middle East with the Secretary of Defense that, that took us to several countries. You know, we spent a night in Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh, we flew on uh, uh, an E-4B, which is an interesting military aircraft. It's painted like Air Force One, but the plane was uh, designed to withstand nuclear fallout. Oh, wow. uh, they, they call it the doomsday plane. So that, that was what we flew from Andrews uh, over to the Middle East, and then we, we switched over to a different kind of aircraft. Uh, but you, you, you just constantly find yourself in these situations where you're like, is this real? Uh, you know, what am I doing here? And, and you know, my, my guys that cover the White House, uh, you know, I know they feel the same way. Every time they're standing under the wing of Air Force One or they board up into the press cabin, it, there's just you have to kind of pinch yourself a little bit and say, this is, you know, this is awesome. Uh, but it, it, it's an interesting existence. It's, it's certainly a hell of a lot of fun uh, if you have a passion for what you're doing. If you don't, then I could see it just being a living hell, right? Uh, you do spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, one of the most important things uh, amongst our staff is the culture that we have. You know, if you're going to spend 27 days straight overseas with a, a producer from New York and a correspondent from L.A., you better be a pretty easy guy to get along with. <laughs> uh, you know, so I do think that, that we're, you know, 80 something strong. Uh, uh, and we're all kind of, of like mind about that, that uh, this job is, you know, you have to have uh, just a mastery of photography and editing and lighting. Um, but it, it, it's almost a bigger part of the job that you just have to be a good person and you've got to believe in the mission. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, you, You've talked several times about the resources that you guys have, 80-some strong on the photography side, uh, you know, dozens of crews on a, on a big story when it happens. And you mentioned that before this, you were in local news, shooting for local news. What is the biggest difference in the way that you would approach a story on the local level as a photographer and then the way you would approach it working for CNN? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> so when, when I was working in local news... Uh, getting a story on the air that was two minutes long was a stretch. That was, that was really hard to do to get, get over 90 seconds. Uh, you know, you had to, you had to negotiate for that. Uh, the stories that we do at CNN, our package length is typically two and a half to six minutes. Um, so you, you're certainly given, uh, you're, you're encouraged to let moments breathe, uh, and to tell a really good story our show producers are always going to take a stronger story than a story that, that comes in early just to, you know, make slot. Um, I think from a technical standpoint, 
the biggest difference for me between local news and, and working at CNN was lighting. Uh, that really, really is just, you're, you have to operate uh, at a different level. And I think part of that is in local news. I don't know that stations make a big investment in lighting. Um, we, we certainly do. Uh, I mean, if you look, look at a live shot on CNN, uh, you know, it's very rare that you're going to see a nose shadow. Uh, it's very rare that you're going to see uh, an overexposed spot on a forehead from where they're, they're keying with the sun, uh, you know, unless it's a, a truly breaking story. Um, but there, there's just a, a very big expectation that your lighting is going to be on point. And that, that, that really is everything from live shots to multi, multi-camera interviews uh, to anchor remotes. Uh, so we, we have that gear and, uh, we also have some incredibly talented people on staff that just, they know their, their stuff. Um, and even aside from the photography staff, we have a lighting department, uh, with, with real lighting directors. And, uh, I found them a wonderful resource when I was shooting. Uh, there were, there were looks that I wanted to achieve and I wasn't sure how to do it. And, you know, you just walk into their office and say, Hey, you know, Michelle, I'm trying to trying to make it look like this. Oh, you just, you know, here are the three instruments. Here's how you set them up. Here's the gear you need. Go for it. Um, or they come out in the field with you. Uh, so that's, <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a lot of fun. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I guess I, that, that kind of wraps it. The technical end is lighting editorial end. It's just always going for the strongest story possible. Uh, and, and really working really closely. Also in local news, you generally don't have a field producer. Uh, and, and that was something that took me a little while to wrap my head around. I, the first couple of travel assignments I did for CNN, I wasn't sure what the field producer did. Uh, <laughs> and I, I just knew they were friendly and that they told us where we needed to be and when. Um, but our field producers are just wonderful resources. Uh, they, they, uh, they advance the story. Uh, oftentimes they've got their own great sources. Uh, they've got wonderful ideas about how to formulate a piece and, uh, uh, and how we can get there. And they run an awful lot of interference with the people back, back at the office, uh, so that you don't have to worry about it. The, the photographer and correspondent can focus on being creative and telling the story. Always important. Yep. Uh, what about the, uh, you, you mentioned the field producer, but what about the correspondent, uh, themselves? What is the biggest difference in communication in terms of just the workflow between, doing it on the local level with a, with a local reporter and working with some of the correspondents who you've gotten to work with. And, and it's a pretty impressive list. Yeah. Um, well, actually I see a big parallel between, uh, you know, network and local news there. If you as a photojournalist show editorial interest in your story, uh, then you get a much more interesting conversation going with the rest of your team. Uh, and that is absolutely true in local news. Um, you know, if you show editorial interest, your reporter knows you're invested. They're going to, you know, willing, they'll be willing to listen to you, uh, bounce ideas off of you. Uh, one of my favorite things working at WJZ was, you know, when we're putting together a package in a microwave truck and we'd be looking at the tape, uh, reporter would be logging bites. And I just start like blurting out lines of track like, hey, this could work here. That could work there. And then at the end of the day, you see, you know, one or two of those in the script. And it's like, all right, this really was a collaboration. We absolutely have that uh, at CNN. Uh, and the correspondents, as you said, they're phenomenal. Uh, I mean, we have people that are just absolute top caliber uh, and and they absolutely work with their photojournalists uh, as much as their photojournalists want to work with them. I think that's a very interesting point you just made about about the photojournalist contributing 
in just the the brainstorming and the idea gathering for a story because I can tell you and and you know as you know I mostly work on my own but on the rare occasions where I do work uh, with photojournalists it it can be a challenge sometimes to have those conversations and I, I typically initiate them because I'm I, when I get to collaborate with someone I love to do it and you can always sense when the other person is willing to do that back and yeah. the difference that that makes on the story I think that's such a good point for anyone in this business to not uh, not underestimate your own role and your own perspective and what your voice can bring to a story, even if you're not the person voicing that story. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, don't don't assume you have someone you work with figured out. Uh, you know, I, I came into this business very young. I, I started working full time as a sophomore in college. Uh, and and when I hit the street, uh, I think I in a couple cases, I did make assumptions about people I worked with and then. Uh, as time went on, I, you know, kind of ask questions and tried to dig a little more. And you, you've got to just realize everybody's got their own career path, their own experiences. Uh, and, and you know, they, they can just lend such strength to a story uh, and, and strength your experience. I mean, I, your experience doing your job, right? Uh, I mean, I, I think all of us as journalists, photojournalists, uh, we have cool jobs. Like, you got to remember that. <laughs> you have point. to be excited about it. Uh, <laughs> one thing I, uh, one more, one more question I wanted to ask you on the, on just the technical side of your job. And then I want to get to advice for younger journalists, but uh, you told a very memorable story uh, at Northern Short Course about how you captured the sound of a space shuttle. And uh, I was hoping you wouldn't mind retelling yep. that story here. Sure. So part of it, I'd say one of the coolest assignments I got to do when I first got to CNN uh, was I went down to cover shuttle launches from Kennedy Space Center for News Source. Uh, and the first time I went down, everyone said, oh, this is going to be so cool. My boss said to me, you know, we're paying for you to go to Florida to watch a rocket get launched. Like, this is cool. I knew it was cool. We got down there. Uh, it was a day launch and watching the rocket go off or the, the shuttle and go up. Uh, it was an impressive sight but far more impressive sound. Uh, once the uh, shuttle got some altitude and, you know, the, the engines are basically facing you uh, down near the launch pad, uh, it's a very unique sound. It's almost like popcorn being popped in the sky. And I really wanted to capture it. And uh, kind of one of the advantages of just having to do live shots down there is no one was counting on my camera to shoot the actual, you know, shuttle takeoff. Uh, they, they had NASA cameras that had better angles and, uh, they were passing that off in HD. <laughs> so I wanted to record the sound and I asked one of our engineers, I said, how can I record the sound? And he said, man, it's too loud. It's just going to overmodulate your, your mic's not going to be able to handle it. Uh, so the next shuttle launch, I tried and failed. It, it just overmodulated and it took a couple more tries. Uh, but I ended up wrapping a shotgun mic in several unlubricated condoms and then I put a softy uh, wind. It's like a big wind sock, heavy duty wind sock on there, uh, and and kept it potted down low. And it didn't overmodulate. I got the sound. Uh, and and you asked me to explain the physics about that. Uh, I <laughs> and I'll be honest, I still can't. But it, it it was a clean sound, and it was something that I saved on a hard drive for for several years, uh, knowing that I'd have an opportunity to use that in a piece down the road. And and I found my opportunity. It worked out. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I told my wife that story uh, when I got back, and she asked about the physics of it, and I couldn't explain it because uh, I had not uh, had it explained to me by you. But I yeah. appreciate. I just and think just, it's such a great story about ingenuity, and you know, and your, again, thinking about your, how to solve problems in a situation like that. 
And for your listeners that are wondering why I was running around with a bunch of unlubricated condoms, so that's <laughs> great great rain protection for a microphone if you're covering a storm or a hurricane. Uh, so that that's kind of something all of us keep in our gear uh, at CNN, as, as we love going big on hurricanes. Uh, but it was it was what I had, and it worked. So. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Oliver Janney, former photojournalist and current senior field production supervisor for CNN in Washington. Oliver, uh, this last section is all about advice for younger journalists. And I specifically wanted to uh, talk to you about a, a certain topic that you addressed uh, at Northern Shore Course and I thought was very telling. You, you told a story about how you woke up one day in Paris as a photojournalist on assignment and were miserable. Yep. And it was at that moment that you knew that you had to get out. You're someone who, at a still relatively young age in your career, has made a transition from being in the field to going into management. And I think so much of the audience of this podcast is younger journalists, people maybe in college, uh, just out of college, starting to think about their careers. And, and I know one thing I always say is, you know, don't just think about what you want to be doing when you're 30. Think about what you want to be doing when you're 40 and 50 and, mm -hmm. and what your life will be like. So I was hoping you, you would talk a little bit about your journey and about how you balanced those facets of your life and your career as you moved along in your young adulthood. Sure. Um, so I, I started my career as a sophomore in college and I worked overnights at WBFF as an editor when they launched their morning news program. Uh, that was something that my parents didn't want me to do and my girlfriend at the time didn't want me to do. Uh, but I felt like it was an opportunity I didn't want to pass up. So I worked 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday and then went to Spanish class. And the rest of my classes, I, I stayed in school full time pursuing my bachelor's. How are your uh, grades? Uh, they, they suffered a little bit. They, they did. <laughs> um, but it was it was invaluable experience. Uh, and uh, I did that for a year. <clears throat> then I broke off and did uh, some uh, freelance post-production work. I did a lot of car dealership advertisements on a Final Cut Pro system uh, in my college apartment. And uh, and then my, my senior year, uh, I was initially hired as a freelance writer at WJZ. And then after about a month of that, uh, I begged and pleaded and they let me <clears throat> work as a freelance uh, photographer. So I did that for 13 months and then was hired on as a staffer. Uh, that after several years led to a position at CNN through a very weird twist of fate that involved a cocktail party in Las Vegas. It's a strange story. Of course. Um, but, but it actually really came back to who I was having that cocktail with in Vegas. And it was a guy named Les Rose who used to be a photojournalist with CBS and Burbank. Uh, he shot the brilliant Steve Hartman series. Uh, and, and I met him at the NPPA workshop in Norman in 2004 and that one week truly changed the trajectory of my career. I thought I knew what I was doing before that. And I came out of that week questioning everything and excited and just fired up uh, and uh, and made friends with Les. Um, and uh, I would encourage anyone early on in their career to seek out either the Norman Workshop or any number of NPPA educational events uh, because they, they really – they really do a nice job of exposing you to to new ideas and kind of best practices for the craft. Um, yeah, and I, then I, you, you become a photojournalist at CNN and you do it for seven years and mm -hmm. you're living out of a slingshot. And then you decide, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, I kind of I kind of uh, hit the wall. <clears throat> I hit the wall with the travel. Uh, 
my my then girlfriend, now wife, and I had a conversation before I took the job with CNN about how this was going to change our lives uh, in terms of especially me being on the road. And uh, and it did. And thankfully, uh, she still agreed to marry me despite being on the road so much uh, <laughs> and, and and supported me. And uh, and and honestly, I think both of us feel very connected to CNN. Uh, we've been through some tough experiences uh, uh, and. And she is treated like a member of the CNN family. Uh, and, and we do that for, you know, the spouses of everyone on staff. Uh, it is kind of a close knit group. Uh, but yeah, I hit the wall and I realized that I wasn't having fun anymore. And uh, that was the problem. And rather than just kind of become jaded and, and bitter, I said, you know what, I'm going to find a new opportunity. Uh, and, and thankfully, uh, luckily, a management position opened up in our DC bureau where I was based. Uh, and I pursued it, uh, and, and was promoted up into management. Uh, I, I felt like there were some cultural things that, that I could improve on, uh, having worked in the field and worked sh- work shoulder to shoulder with everyone on our staff. Uh, and, and I, I really wanted just a different kind of challenge. I wanted to use a different part of my brain. Uh, but it's important to, to recognize that, right? Cause I think the most, most important thing, if you're going to work in this business is just be excited about your job. And if you're not excited about it, then figure out a way to get excited. Uh, and I think the same goes when you're just working a story. If you're not in the right mindset to to tell that story, you got to do whatever you got to do to get in that mindset. Uh, otherwise, you're kind of doing a disservice to yourself and the people you work with and your viewers, uh, who you're really doing all this for. Did you have any hesitation about hanging up the camera, so to speak? You know, uh, not so much going into management, but getting off of the streets and getting out of the field? Uh, I, I, I'm sure a little bit. Uh, I, and I still love storytelling. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get to shoot much. Uh, it's kind of, you know, pick and choose things on a personal, on the personal side, nothing really for CNN air anymore. Uh, but I do keep my skills up. Something I, I really did love, uh, being a shooter at CNN was you, Get a, you can work with different kinds of cameras and different kinds of gear and kind of test things out and see what works. Uh, you know, you really kind of have like a laboratory to play in. Uh, so, you know, our, our staffers now, they're shooting on a, either a full-size ENG camera uh, or they might be doing a documentary or special project shoot on a Canon C300 or a Sony FS7 uh, or, you know, on our digital side, we have people shooting in 8K. Uh, and then working, working in post, uh, you know, down to what you see on the web and, and on air. Uh, so, so that part of it, I've, you know, I, I feel like storytelling has nothing to do with gear, but I'm, I'm a total gear nut <laughs> at the same time. I love all the, the toys. Same here. Uh, yeah. And it's, and you know, so we, we get to, to play with a lot of toys. Um, when, in my last really year of shooting, uh, we, we were getting ready to move from final cut over to Adobe. Uh, to Adobe Creative Suite. And really, it was kind of like the week after uh, uh, Apple announced they weren't going to do professional support for Final Cut Pro anymore. We had a development team from Adobe in our office in DC, and they were like, what do you want? Uh, And we got to work kind of closely with them on uh, what eventually became uh, Creative Suite 7 uh, and and get some things into Premiere that that used to only exist in After Effects and just kind of give us more options in the field. Being able to, to influence things like that uh, and be involved in those kinds of projects, it, it's a lot of fun. It's very, very exciting for me. So for people listening to this podcast who might be young in their careers, what would your, you know, you, you can never say when 
or if you'll hit the wall doing mm-hmm. this kind of work. And and some people never hit the wall. Some people spend 30, 40 years uh, in the life of whether it's a photojournalist or a correspondent or MMJ or whatever. And, you know, you make it to retirement age and, and you've had a career. But a lot of people do hit that wall. And what would your advice be to folks just about, I, I guess, kind of, keeping those options open and, and keeping that flexibility, knowing that it's not just about doing one thing your whole career. Yeah. Well, never, ever, ever, ever do it for the money. Right. right. Uh, you know, do it cause it makes you happy. Uh, and, and do it cause you feel like you're doing something worthwhile and important. Uh, and, and as a, a journalist you are, uh, and you know, for, in my case, it was the travel that just, it got to be a lot. Uh, I wanted to be home a little bit more. Um, and, and so I, I made the decision that I did. I do think, especially for people that have been shooting for a while, and I think at, at seven, seven years with CNN and uh, what was it, three or four before that with WJZ, uh, you know, I, I very easily could have just said, you know what, I'm just going to shoot for the rest of my career and that'll be it. And, you, you know, we anyone who, who knows a photog who's in their late 50s or 60s, you know what that means. It means you're going to have some shoulder pain. You're probably going to have back problems, right? you got to take care of yourself. Uh, I think it's important never to operate with blinders on. Always know what's going on out in the rest of the industry. Uh, and there's so much exciting stuff happening now. There's so many stories being told. Uh, there are more people watching news product now than there were 10 years ago. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of opportunity out there. But also just never think that your path is predetermined. Uh, just cause you're a, a photog now doesn't mean you need to be a photog forever. Uh, and don't be afraid to try something new. Uh, the first couple of months that I was in management, I, I had some cold feet and I was like, maybe they'll <laughs> let me have my tripod back in my camera and I can just go back to doing what I know I'm, you know, pretty good at. Uh, but you know, you, you power through that and you, you, you develop new skills. Uh, it's really important to always be growing and learning. Uh, even if, even if you are uh, a shooter, uh, or you're a producer, or whatever your position is, you, you never know at all. The technology is constantly changing. Uh, the landscape is constantly changing. Uh, you know, the opportunities are constantly changing. So just, you know, maintain some awareness uh, and and keep your head up and be be a good person. Good stuff, Oliver. That is, uh, those are all the questions I have, but I always like to end with that famous reporter's question, one I'm sure you've heard many, many times. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Uh, well, I guess I could. Can I break a little bit of news on your podcast? Go for it. Uh, so yesterday we posted a photojournalist opening on our DC photography staff. Uh, we we have uh, someone retiring who's been with CNN for a long time, and uh, because we are so incredibly busy in Washington, we're we're making moves to. Uh, post that position and fill that position very expeditiously. Uh, so if you're interested in coming to work at CNN, uh, please check out the job at turnerjobs.com. Uh, we're, we'll probably, uh, I expect it to be up through probably middle of next week. Um, and, and you're hearing it here first is tomorrow morning. I'm waking up and flying to Norman, uh, and <laughs> going to the workshop out there. And, and, uh, and we're going to, going to also mention it to that group as well. Uh, but, but thank you for having me on that. You do a wonderful, uh, wonderful service by doing this podcast and your, your wonderful book. Uh, so thank you for, for just honoring the craft and, uh, doing what you do. My pleasure, Oliver. And thanks so much, Oliver Janney, joining me on the telling the story podcast. Look forward to seeing all that you do down the road and, uh, you will, that job will be uh, available for at least 
maybe a week or so after this podcast goes up. So if you're listening to this within the first week and you want to work for CNN, get that resume and get that application filled out as quickly as you can. Oliver, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.